Well, Paul, because you are new, I don't know if he's still in the room or not, um, we don't use the word foyer. Uh, we use welcome center uh, because we're not French. Is that French? Foyer? I don't know. I don't know what that is. Uh, I don't use big fancy words like foyer. So that's all right. He'll he'll adapt and and learn. Well, we're uh, we're in this uh, series called Neighboring, uh, loving your neighbor as your as yourself. And uh, and a couple of weeks ago, we we kind of kicked it off by talking about how we could love people who are different than us. Uh, and then last week, we talked about loving the lonely. This week, I want us to uh, really begin to talk about uh, sharing our faith with our neighbor. Uh, We're all on this faith journey, and uh, one of the ways in which we love our neighbors is by giving them the good news of Jesus Christ. And and yet, there, there is some things, I think, that hold us back from doing that. Uh, last week, I, I touched on uh, the idea that it's really hard to love someone uh, when, when you don't love yourself, right? That, uh, that, that there, it's really an, an identity issue. It comes down to our identity. It comes down to this idea that we struggle with how we see ourselves. We struggle with the fact that, uh, with the promise that says that we are actually new creations in Christ Jesus. We, we oftentimes live our life as though we are still that old person that, uh, that, that was from our past. Uh, but that, that we actually are sons and daughters of, of the Most High God. I, I want to read to you the, the passage of Scripture from Galatians that, uh, that I was referencing earlier. It says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir of God. He sent the Holy Spirit, that, that if you are a Christ follower, we have the Spirit of God in us. And if we have the Spirit of God in us, we are not a slave to anything. We're not a slave to our past. We're not, certainly not a slave to fear. Romans chapter 8 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption, your sonship, right? You now can be called a son and daughter of the Most High God, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. So that's a starting point, and, and the reason why I'm even referencing those, I don't even think I gave those scriptures to the, to the guys in the back, is because we have to understand that, that there is something about our relationship with Jesus Christ being, we are now able to be called a son and daughter, and if we cannot get to a place to where we actually believe that, actually walk in that and live in that, we will, we will never share our faith journey with someone else. So here's the thing. Is if you're like me, I, I know this in my head, right? I, I, even, I even believe it, but I often just believe it for everybody else. It's, it's a much harder for us to begin to actually live this out in our life. I'll give you an example of this. You, uh, if you know the story of the Israelites, they were held captive. They were slaves in Egypt. 
And God wants to deliver this people. And so he goes, he gets Moses and says to Moses, I want you to deliver these people from slavery. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. If you've seen the movie, you've, you know it. Uh, let my people go. Let my people go. Finally, Pharaoh gets sick of him and says, okay, fine, we'll let your people go. And, and so the, the people then are now free, right? The Israelites are free. They're, they're not slaves anymore. The problem was is they didn't know how to live as free people. Instead, they just continued to live and do the same things that they always did when they were slaves. And so God had to come up with all of these, these rules and these laws and these things to say, listen, this is how you live as a free person, right? This is how you can be a son and daughter of the Most High God. What I want to contend for today is that the thing that holds us back from sharing our faith with others is a sense of fear, is a sense of not really believing and walking in and living in the confidence that we are sons and daughters of God. So the Billy Graham Association, they did a, a survey. They asked the question, what is your greatest hindrance to witnessing? And by witnessing, we mean sharing our faith journey with other people. 9% said that they were too busy to remember to do it. I would contend that's probably higher uh, today. 12% said that their own lives were not speaking as they should. In other words, they didn't feel comfortable sharing their faith with somebody because they didn't think they were a very good representation or reflection of Christ. 28% felt the lack of real information to share. They didn't know what to say. And by far the largest group were the 51% whose biggest problem was the fear of how the other person would react. I want to take a look at the two highest points, uh, percentage points in this survey this morning. The first is that we are afraid. And I get it. I, I understand this. Nobody wants to be the Jesus freak on the block, right? Nobody, nobody wants to be the person that whenever they invite them to a party or, or to, the, to the, uh, the community, the HOA party, pool party that they're doing, nobody wants to, bring the, to invite the guy who's always just talking about Jesus all the time. The challenge, though, I think, is, I understand that thinking. The challenge, though, is if we camouflage ourselves so much, people won't even be able to see us. It's possible that we swing our pendulum all the way to the other side, and now in an effort to be normal, in an effort to not be different, than those around us, we camouflage ourselves and people don't even know that we're Christ followers. I'll give you an example of someone who did this. Um, not anybody in our church, because uh, that'd be embarrassing. But uh, Peter, right? Uh, Peter is a guy, he's a disciple. He's been following Jesus. He's, he, he's been learning from Jesus. And all of a sudden, everything that Peter knows has, is crumbling underneath him. Because Jesus has now been crucified and Jesus is dead and everything Peter thought to be true, knew to be true, was now crumbling. And Peter is now being recognized by these other people and, and Scripture talks about that there's this servant girl 
And seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man was also with him. But he denied it saying, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, hey, aren't you one of those people? But Peter said, man, I'm, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. Why was Peter so afraid? I mean, the obvious answer here is Peter just saw Jesus brutally crucified on a cross. And so he's thinking in his mind, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want to die. And so obviously there's a fear of death there that is driving Peter to deny his acknowledgement of Jesus. But, but I think, I've often wondered, like, I wonder if, if, if Peter would have the same fears that I have. Because there, there isn't, at least in our culture, in our country today, and I emphasize today because who knows what tomorrow holds, but in, in our country today, I don't have a fear of death that I will, uh, that if I share my faith journey, if I admit or show that I'm a Christ follower, I'm not super worried about dying. But I do have fears. I have fears of rejection, right? That, that, that will no longer be included at family events because now you're a Christ follower. And so the rest of the family is like, I, I don't want any of that. Or, or fear of rejection from, from our community, our friends or, that, that we know. Maybe, maybe when we begin to actually show that we are Christ followers, we're concerned that maybe we don't get to hang out with the same people that we've been hanging out with. Embarrassment, that's, that's another fear, right? People will think that, that we're Jesus freaks. People will think that we're weird or different, that secretly they'll make fun of us, or that we'll be labeled. We'll, we'll be given this label, and that label will be the thing that defines us and not only that, we'll be labeled something that when you look through social media and you see the references, you're like, I'm not that, but yet I'm labeled that. I don't know about you guys, but I am sick and tired of, of politics and social media. I am. I'm, like I, I told Kelly the other day, like it's, and it's not just the politics, it's just... It's all of the headlines. You know, you get, you get your head, the, the headlines on your phone, and it's, I mean, God help us. When a man can go into and shoot a bunch of people in a, in a synagogue. Like, 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 that's the world that we live in, and, and, and that's, there's the evil of that, but then there's the evil of just the back and the forth and the nonsense and, and all of this stuff going on. And I'm just, like I told Kelly, I just, I don't want to even look anymore. It's ridiculous. And part of that is because I see labels being placed on people that I would never associate with, and yet we're called the same. And that's scary to me. We also have the fear of just being treated differently. That all of a sudden when somebody finds out, they, they start 
talking to you differently. I, when I, whenever I'm on a plane and somebody's sitting next to me, inevitably the question comes up as to what you do. And they may be uh, swearing and drinking, I mean, like the whole thing. And then they, they're like, oh, and what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, Father. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not a father. I mean, I am a, a dad, but, but not in the way that you think. And, 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 you know, it's just all of a sudden they start treating me differently than they would before. And so there's this fear of we don't want to be treated differently. We don't want people to act one way in their life and then act differently around us because they think that, that we're going to judge them. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for God, gave us a, uh, God, for God gave us a spirit not of fear. The Holy Spirit that he put in us is, does not cause that fear to take place in our life. Instead, he gave us a spirit of power and of love and self-control. See, we're so concerned about how Man will see us. And I want to circle back as to how we can overcome some of this fear. But the second thing that in that survey that came up was we don't know what to say. And I wonder how many of us here this morning would say that God has changed your life in some manner since you've started a relationship with him. Just with a raise of hands. Like you would say, I can think of one or two things that God has done in my life. Okay, so this is what I want you to do. Um, because I'm getting more bold these days, is I want you to just write it down. Just if, or think about it, have the thought in your mind, write it down, and, and write down like what has changed in your life since God entered it. Like What's different about you since God became a part of your life? Just, just right there while you're... Well, I'll, I'll just sit here and wait. I don't have any good music to play, but... So let's just hear from, we don't have a microphone to pass around, but let's just, just, somebody just tell me something that's different in your life from before. Like the, from the before you met Christ to now. Anybody just bold enough to share? Yeah, Glenn. I live my life with a constant sense of gratitude. Okay, good. Somebody else? I'm able to forgive people. Okay, forgiveness, good. Yes, in the back. Peace and hope, okay? So before there was no peace, no hope, but now there's peace and hope. Yes, good. Somebody else? Yes. Sensitive. You're more sensitive to people, compassionate, yeah? Yeah, over here? Purpose. purpose, you have a purpose that God's created you for. Yeah, good, yes. And a contentment, yes, good. Different what? Goals? Yeah, different aspirations, it changes. Like, you know, maybe I was going after this, but now the crisis intersected my life. Yeah, those, those, are, those are amazing things. Those are transformational things that when God is in our life, he transforms us. He changes us. We, it, it, there should be something that's different in our life now than when before, Right? And so here's, here's the, just one of the greatest pieces of advice that I got from, a, uh, from somebody who's been speaking into my life over the years. His name is Daniel Brown. He said, here's what I tell people who don't know what to say when sharing their faith with someone. 
Don't tell them what you don't know. Tell them what you do know. Right? Don't don't tell them, like, if you don't know theology and doctrine and have all the answers to life's big questions, you don't have to tell them that. All you have to tell them is what you do know. And if God has changed your life in some capacity, if there's been some transformational work where your life is now better than it was before, you can share that with anyone. And you know what the amazing thing is, is that when you share that piece of advice or, or, or that story with somebody, not piece of advice, that story with somebody, they can't tell you that you're wrong. Right? They can't say, oh, no, that you're not, you're the same. No, like, like the, the, who are they to tell you that God hasn't changed your life? Right? They, maybe they can make excuses or reasons for all of these other things. But at the end of the day, it is your story. It is your testimony that will impact people's lives. 1 John 1, 2 says, we have seen it and we, we testify to it. So we've seen God work. We've seen him move in our life. We testify to it and we proclaim to everyone the eternal life, which was the Father uh, which it was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, that you too may experience some of the same transformational work that has taken place in my life. I want you to experience that as well. It seems simple, right? But fear Fear is a strong motivator in our life to keep us from doing it. So what do we do? How do we overcome the fear and just step out into the boldness? Well, the first thing that we do is we ask for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you look back at the example of Peter, here's Peter. He's just such a chicken, and he's, he's sitting, no pun intended because there was actually a rooster that crowed, but he's... he's around a fire pit and everybody is recognizing him. he's saying no no I don't know this guy he's denying he's denying he's denying and then not long after that Peter is preaching to the multitudes and proclaiming God and then in uh, Acts chapter 4 verse 8 it says then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit says to them I would contend that if we aren't consistently asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, we will continue to not step out of our fear. What do I mean by that? Well, I just, I mean by consistently inviting the Holy Spirit to impart in us. Uh, I've been, uh, I've shared a little bit about this, but I've been going through this process. It's called unique, Y-O-U-N-I-Q-U-E. See what they did there, unique. So, it's, this, it's really there's just this process of, of discovering how God has made us and how he has wired us. And, and you set goals and all of these different things. And one of the things that uh, I, I was uh, addressing in my life is health. And by health, I don't mean just my physical health. I'm talking about my uh, soul health, about my mind health, and, and then uh, my body health. 
Uh, and uh, and I, I, I kind of labeled that category as consistent presence. And, and what I mean by consistent presence is that there would be a consistency in my presence in each of those categories. And so for my body, I've, I've made some adjustments in my life. I've, I've, I've been working out very consistently uh, with my wife. We, we go every, uh, well, not every day, but we're going now uh, five times a day, or five times a week. I need it five times a day. Clearly, but five times a week and, and for an hour a day. And, and it's become, I've, I've had a consistent presence in the, in the gym, right? Uh, for my mind, it's, it's this uh, idea of Sabbath, that we are to have a time of rest and, the, and just having a consistent time of rest. But the area in which I've recognized for me personally where I've struggled the most is a consistent presence with the Holy Spirit. That, that for me, I find myself finding time for all of these other things, but, but the, the presence and the, and the sitting and the being still before the Lord is the thing that kind of gets shoved to when I have time. And that's not okay. Because if you don't have this this time, this intentionality of of asking the Holy Spirit, will you fill me today? You will not step out of your fear. You will not step into being able to share what God has done in your life. We just won't. The second thing we do to overcome fear is we pray earnestly. And that's different from being in the presence of God. It's different than being in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Is Christ present in your prayer? Yes. But when we pray earnestly, when we, when we take our day to the Lord and we say to him, God, will you create divine moments? Will you open up doors of opportunity for me to share my story with someone else? That's a different kind of prayer. We often find ourselves Praying for our needs, and there's nothing wrong with that. These petition prayers, God, I need you to do this. I need you to heal that. I need you. But what if we just started our day saying, God, will you put someone in my life today that I could share my story with? It's so that we can say confidently, Hebrews 13, 6 says, so that we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. And then finally... We have to be willing to make mistakes. That God will still use your testimony even if you make a mistake. That he he blesses your obedience of stepping out, of of trying. And let's be honest, it's it's not really about us in the first place. And if it is, it's, it's never going to work. But when we are willing to just be obedient and say, God, okay, bring somebody in my life, and then we begin to speak, even if we say something dumb or or we make a mistake, God's going to use our obedience in that. At the end of the day, we can't save them anyways. Only he can. What's the primary reason that we don't want to make a mistake? 
I'll tell you for me, my primary reason for not making a mistake is because I don't want to look foolish. I don't want to look like a fool. Mark Batterson says that if you're if you aren't willing to look foolish, you're foolish. There are some people in life that just, they don't have a problem with looking foolish, right? I mean, you know who I'm talking about. Those are the people that are usually the life of the party, and I'm not saying that they're completely healthy and all of those things, but, but you know, you, you encounter people who, who they don't care. They don't care if they look a little bit foolish and, and stuff. They're just, they're out there, and they're just living their life, and, and, and the the effects of people's opinion don't matter as much. And what's interesting to me is that I often have even prided myself on the fact of saying, I don't really care what people think. And this last week I discovered I actually really care what people think because it motivates me to not look foolish. We don't step out and share our faith, our faith journey with other people because we don't want to look foolish. You know that in Scripture there's people who looked foolish. I'll give you a couple of examples. You've got uh, Noah in the middle of a drought building an ark. Just complete foolishness. Right? You... You've got the Israelites marching around a walled city for seven days. Right? Like, that looks foolish. It looks ridiculous. And then they're blowing, you know, blowing their trumpets like, like they're crazy, expecting that the walls are going to come down. Right? What about David taking a slingshot to a spear fight? It's like, what was he thinking? That's, that's foolishness. Or even worse, what about David dancing naked in the streets? It doesn't get any more foolish than that. And what's interesting is, you know what I love about kids? I, I love that kids don't have inhibitions because I have them. But you could be at a restaurant and a kid will come uh, back from the, the bathroom with his mom and yell out to the table, Daddy, I went poo! In the middle of a restaurant while I'm eating. That could happen. They don't have inhibitions, right? If I came out and said that to my wife, that's a problem, right? I get kicked out of the restaurant. They, don't, they frown on that stuff. So... But they, they also, they're not self-conscious. Right? They, they, remember what Jesus said? He said, we, we must become like little children if we want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I think this is something that, that we could all learn, that, that we need to become a little less self-conscious. Isn't that what John the Baptist was talking about where he says that we must become uh, less and he must become more, right? That, that, that we need to care more about what God thinks and less about what people think of us. 
What I learned this last week is that unhealthy and unholy people are trapped by a fear of looking foolish. And the happiest and healthiest people, they're not afraid of looking foolish. Take a look at what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says. It says, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill you and control you. What happens when you get drunk? Don't pretend like you don't know. <laughs> right? You, you lose all inhibition. That's what happens, If in case you didn't know, that's what happens when you get drunk. And Paul is saying that wine is the wrong way to lose your inhibition. The right way is being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us overcome our ungodly inhibitions. I like the way that Ron Roheiser, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name correctly, but he's the president of Oblate School of Theology here in San Antonio. He says it like this, Isn't it the task of the Holy Spirit to introduce some madness and intoxications into the world? Why this propensity for balance and safety? Don't we all long for a moment of raw risk, one moment of divine madness? When, when David was dancing naked, he is intoxicated not by wine, but he's intoxicated with his God. His, his dance is, is this divine madness that Ron talks about. He, he takes off his, his royal robes and he loses all inhibition and he humiliates himself before God. And if you're like me, we often find ourselves way too preoccupied with ourselves. And that's what keeps us from stepping out and sharing our faith journey with others. And you know what else it does? It keeps us from worshiping God the way we could and the way that we should. Eugene Peterson recently passed away. He's just a, a great theologian, a great great man of God, and um, his definition of worship is this. I thought it would be appropriate to share something from him today. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves. David says, oh, you, he says to his wife, who's just completely humiliated that her husband would be dancing around naked before the Lord. And his response to her is, oh, you think this is embarrassing? I can get even more undignified than this. I don't know how, but he could. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that we all go around dancing naked. Just like if I came out of the bathroom in a restaurant. We're probably, if you do that, we're going to throw you out. Right? If you're dancing naked, like that's, that's a problem, right? Lucy's nodding her head and saying, yes, that's, that's against the bylaws. So, <laughs> but I am suggesting that maybe it's time for us to believe the promise that if he is for us, then who can be against us? Maybe it's time for us to 
believe what we read in Galatians when it says that when we receive the Spirit of God, it doesn't make us slaves. Instead, it doesn't doesn't hold us captive with fear. Instead, it's about our adoption. It's about being a son and daughter of God. It's about our sonship with Him so that we could dance around saying, Abba, Father. So that people would recognize that we actually have a relationship with Christ. See, we love our neighbors when we stop being afraid and when we stop camouflaging ourselves to the point that nobody will ever even know. One of my favorite songs that I'm, I'm listening to right now is uh, by Hillsong is It's called Be Still, and it says, Surely love and mercy, your peace and your kindness will follow us. And I would say that to you this morning, that as we step out into this rightful place of being a son and daughter of the Most High God, surely goodness and mercy will follow us. Peace and kindness. And when we share our story of what God has done, where God has taken us from these plans to these plans, where God has taken us from from, uh, lack of empathy to compassion, where God has has taken us from, from hopelessness to a place of hope, that we would be able to do so in the confidence of who God is and what he has done in us because we are sons and daughters. If we want to love our neighbor as ourself, if we want to love our neighbors just period, don't we want to give them the good news of Jesus Christ, the transformational work that he has? It's easy, and I will be the first to admit this, it is easy to come here and to talk with other followers of Jesus about what God's done into our life. But fear sets in the moment we step out those doors. But we are not people of fear. We don't have a spirit of fear, but of love and of kindness and of self-control. Self-control means that you keep your clothes on while you dance. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, your great... Commandment, your great commission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are to go into this world and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that we are to go and invite them to an Easter service or a Christmas Eve service. It doesn't say that we're supposed to go and and let the church be the primary disciple-making source, it says that we, we, as Christ followers, are to go into this world and make disciples. God, if we were to love our neighbor as ourselves, we go and we make disciples. We share the transformational work that you've done in our life. But none of us would... In this room, I don't believe any one of us would say that we've arrived, that somehow we have come to a place to now we are ready. Most of us would question whether or not we are ready to go and share 
our story with someone. And, and God, I would just say that that lie from the enemy needs to be gone. And God, that every person that is a Christ follower in this room has exactly what the people that you bring into our life need. Father, we love you. We surrender to you. We ask, God, that as you continue to move and work in our lives, Lord, that we would be more and more confident in who you have called us to be as sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.